Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're continuing our series on the book of James, Genuine Faith. You know, James was a man of faith and prayer, and he wrote this book to show us what genuine faith looks like in everyday real life. And today we're going to talk about a faith that works. Story is told of a blind boy that was flying a kite with other kids his age. Someone that knew this boy was passing by and teased him, and he said, where's your kite? You don't know if it's on the ground or up in the air. And he says, oh, yes, I do. He says, it's quite far up in the air, actually. And this passerby said, how do you know? Because you can't see it. And the boy said, it's true, I can't see it. But I can feel the tug on the string. Now, what I want to talk to you today is about how do we know when our faith is real, when we believe in a God that we can't see? How do we know it's real? Uh, Have you ever thought about how you can be sure that your faith in Christ is real? Uh, How does your faith in Christ express itself? How does it work? Those are some of the questions we're going to explore today in this message. You know, it's very easy to make a profession of faith. When I say uh, a profession of faith, that's just somebody verbally claiming, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of, of Jesus. It's very easy to make a profession of faith, but is your faith in Christ real? Anyone can make a profession of faith, uh, but only those who are truly saved have the evidence to back it up. Uh, what's the difference between a professor of salvation, someone that claims to be a Christian, and a possessor of salvation, someone whose life has truly been changed? That's what we're going to talk about. What I want to say to you right off the bat is this. Faith is more than words because it's accompanied by works. Let me say that again. Faith is more than words because it's accompanied by works. Someone said it this way, behavior is a reflection of what you really believe. Boy, isn't that true? Behavior is a reflection of what you really believe. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. I want to go to Hebrews. It's right before the book of James, so it's not far. But I want to go to Hebrews chapter 6, because Hebrews chapter 6, the author of that letter was talking to Christians that he knew were really Christians, but he was concerned about some in their midst that may not be a Christian. And he, he, he has a word here that paints a picture that really shows us the distinction. He says in Hebrews 6, For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it, and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it's cultivated, receives a blessing from God. I can't help but think of all those gardens my grandfather had years ago. He loved to to work outside, and he always had a garden up until the, the, the year that he died. And I mean, people would come, neighbors and People would come and he would sell tomatoes and watermelons and and all those things. But he loved working in his garden and he was always out there in it. And I mean, it was cultivated. He nurtured it. There were no weeds to be found. I mean, he was in that garden. And here is a picture of a beautiful garden. And it says, look at this beautiful garden with all the vegetation. And it says, "The, the rain falls from heaven 
and, and uh, the, the earth takes it in, and, and look at this beautiful garden that's growing. Okay, that's one picture. But then look at what he says next there in Hebrews 6, verse 8. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. Even though we're speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we're confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. Now, Jesus used this kind of language to describe when the Word of God goes out, it's like a, a, a farmer or a gardener planting seed. He's sowing seed, right? And some landed here and there and yonder and so on. But it was the good soul that took the seed and it produced a crop some 30, 60, 100 fold. And uh, you and I, when we hear the Word of God, do we receive it? Do we believe it? Do we live it out and obey it in faith and trust, trust God to do what He says He promises to do? And if we do, then it's like this beautiful garden. The, the, the rain comes from heaven, the earth takes it in, and look at this beautiful crop. That's one picture. But what happens when the rain falls and the earth drinks it in and all you have is thorns and thistles? That's the difference between someone who's truly saved and someone who is not. And that's the picture that we get in the book of Hebrews. Now, I want to say this. The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that doesn't spring from faith. Those are two sides of the same coin. In other words... If you believe, then you obey. If you believe God's Word, then you will obey it. You will live it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look, if you will, in Romans 1, verse 5 and 6. In Romans 1, 5 and 6, people always talk about, you know, James and Paul and how they were different. I really think they served the same God and they preached the same gospel. And I want to show you how. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans and... Uh, this is my setup for James. But in Romans 1, verse 5 and 6, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, Through Him we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Okay, just focus on that phrase, the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. And so Paul wanted to share the gospel far and wide. And he ultimately went to Rome. But he wrote this letter to the Roman church before he ever got there. And he says that God's appointed him uh, to be an apostle, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. The obedience of faith. And then when you turn to the very last chapter of Romans 16, he ends the same way he begins. In Romans 16, verse 25, it's a prayer. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance, here it is, the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. He starts out talking about the obedience of faith and he ends his message with the obedience of faith. If you believe God, then you will obey God. If you don't obey God, you really don't believe Him. 
Let me illustrate that. One of my mentors in ministry, uh, Patrick, he was my youth pastor once upon a time. And uh, through the years, we kept in touch. And I remember one time I was talking to him about how do you how do you minister to people that are doubting their salvation? He goes, let me tell you what I've learned. I said, okay. And Patrick said, I have one of my biggest regrets. He says, when I was still in youth ministry years ago, he said, I had this young girl in the youth group that came to me. He said she was doubting her salvation. And he said, I did everything that I was taught and told to do as a good Southern Baptist. He said, I asked her, are you saved? Well, yeah. Did somebody take you through the plan of salvation? Yeah. Did you understand it? Yeah. Did you pray, you know, to, to receive Christ? Yeah. Did you mean it? You know, like went through all these questions. Did you mean it? Well, yeah. He said, after I went through all of that conversation, he says, I really didn't know what to say to her. I didn't know what to offer her. I didn't know how to help her. He said, I went back to the Word and I reminded her of the promises of God. You know, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And just, I rooted her in the promises of God. He says, time went by and all of a sudden I realized the problem. She'd been having premarital sex and she was pregnant. Time bore that out. And he says, now I wish I could go back. Because he said, here's what you've got to realize. Believe and obey go together. He said, she did not have a belief problem. When I said, hey, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the third day? Yes. Uh, did someone share this uh, news with you? Yes. Do you understand it? Yes. Uh, did you ask the Lord to save you? Yes. Did you mean it? Yes. We don't have a belief problem. We have a obedience problem. And so he says, if I'd known uh, then what I know now, I would have said, okay, believing and trusting is not the issue. Is there an area of your life where you're not fully yielded to and obeying God? Because that's the issue. And uh, that's the thing. If we believe God, then we will obey God. If we're not obeying God, then it, it shows us that we're walking in unbelief. And so you know, think about it this way. When you and I are out of fellowship with God, I don't believe we lose our salvation, but when we're out of fellowship with God, we're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be uncomfortable because we're not right with Him and we need to get right with Him and restore that fellowship. Well, James kind of uh, is talking about this. Uh, I want to segue into James now. In James chapter 1, we looked about being a doer of the Word and not just hearing only. Matter of fact, in James 1.21... He says, rid yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. See, James and Paul would agree, just because you hear the Word of God and you nod your head and say amen and you believe it, that doesn't mean anything if you walk out these doors and you don't live it. James would say, if you're a hearer only and not a doer, then you're deceiving yourself. You're not fooling God. You're not fooling others. You're deceiving yourself thinking you're okay when you're not okay. And so today I want to talk about a faith that works. A, a true, genuine faith in God works itself out in everyday life, and a faith that works has evidence to support it. So let's examine that for a moment. Number one, let's distinguish real faith from meaningless talk. 
Let's distinguish real faith from meaningless talk. There in James 2, we'll begin in verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Okay? If we claim to have faith, but there's no evidence in our life to suggest that that is true, then does that kind of faith really save us? He says in verse 15, a very practical example. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? That's the second time he asked that. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. In other words, faith without works is dead. I remember a uh, Christian song years ago. I'm dating myself now. You might have grown up during the 80s and 90s if you remember a Christian rock group called Third Day uh, from Georgia. And uh, they had a song called, Did You Mean It? And the uh, lyrics to the song go like this. There was a time in your life when you wanted the pain to leave. There were tears in your eyes. You were down on your knees asking forgiveness, said you would do anything, but did you mean it? And then the pain went away, but did you thank your Lord? You went your own way, kept sinning even more. You said that someday, said you'd do anything, but did you mean it? The chorus says, and I know you know the difference between a promise and a lie, and I know you know the difference between what is wrong and right. I know you said you gave it all to Jesus Christ. You said that someday, said you'd do anything, but did you mean it? There was a time in your life when you were so afraid nothing could go right. You got on your knees and prayed. You said that someday you would do anything, but did you mean it? Mean it. And then it ends. Now the time has come to make your promise true, but you sit around after all he's done for you. You need forgiveness. You don't do anything. You didn't mean it. You know, when it comes to professing faith in Christ, anybody can do that. But did you mean it? Is there evidence in your life that demonstrates that that, that, true, that faith in Christ was real and true? Notice the questions that the Scripture raises in verses 14 through 17. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but doesn't have works? Can such faith save him? If one, someone says, hey, be well fed, do this, be blessed, whatever, but they don't do anything, what good is it? We're not talking about talking the good talk. We're talking about walking the good walk. Amen? And that's what it's all about. Faith without action is dead. And if you want to know why churches today are struggling across our land, it's because a lot of people claim to know Christ but they didn't really mean it, and they weren't actually changed. They made a profession of faith, but there's no evidence to back it up, and they have a dead faith. Faith without works is dead. Well, faith that works has evidence to support it. There's a difference, as we just said, between real faith and meaningless talk. Now let's determine what makes faith real. What makes faith real? Look, if you will, in James 2, verse 18. It's almost like he anticipates somebody trying to argue. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You shudder that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? And so much print has been devoted through the years. You know, what's the difference between what Paul said, we're justified by faith, and and what, what James says, and they pit them against each other as if they're saying two different things. They're saying the same message, but one is emphasizing faith, which is Paul, and James is emphasizing works, which is true. Your faith works, and if your faith is real, and it's genuine, then it's going to make a difference in your life, and the evidence will be there to prove it. And so here you have two people. You have faith, and I have works. But he says, I will show you faith without works. That's dead. And then I will show you my faith by my works. It's evidence that it's true and it's real. And that's the difference. So about nine years ago, if you like to keep up with the news, about nine years ago, there was a big problem in the Sudan area of the world. Uh, There was this uh, country, uh, Darfur, and... uh, a lot of lives were being lost there, a lot of corruption going on there, and there was this big uh, promotion on social media at the time, back in 2014, where there was this Save, the, Save Darfur Facebook page. And more than a million people had indicated that they were concerned and they wanted to offer support, and they were a member of that page. Well, here's where it gets interesting. A professor from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Dr. Kurt Gray, decided to analyze the responses of the people that were members of that page. Now, due to time and uh, limited resources, they only looked at the first 100,000 members of the Save Darfur page. And to their surprise, they discovered that 99.8%, that's almost everybody, right? 99.8% of those who liked the page had never donated to the cause and 72% had not recruited anybody in their social media circle. Now, what's interesting is what Dr. Gray says based on the research. He says they raised almost nothing compared to what a similar campaign would have done offline. He says the reason is you got to look great without having to pay for it. And I read that and I go, oh, wow. So in social media world, you can like something and you can go, man, that's a great cause. You should do something about it. I like that. And you can never do one thing about it, but because you liked it, it looks good. Now that kind of relates to our world today, doesn't it? Anybody can come down the aisle. Anybody can can make a profession of faith and go, oh yeah, I believe there is a God in heaven. I believe God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, and I believe I'm saved. And yet if they walk out here, and they did not humbly receive the word of God, they weren't truly born again, and they go out and they live the same way they always have. Who's deceived? Not God. Not other people. They're deceived. Because they've heard the word of God, but they're really not living it out or obeying it and they're deceiving themselves. And we have, a, we, have a, we have a nation full of people like that today. It's real easy believism. It's real easy to make a profession of faith and yet to truly not be saved. Uh, I like what the professor says. 
You get to look great without having to pay. You know, here the example is mentioned in the Scriptures. James says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons do. Think about that. I mean, you could talk to an atheist and they don't believe God, but I want to tell you something the devil does. And the demons do. And they shudder because they know what's coming someday, but it doesn't change anything. They still refuse to honor God and obey God. And the religious people get caught up in this too. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 5, in the Gospel of John chapter 5. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of his day. And he makes a really big, bold statement. He says in John 5, 39 and 40, You pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you might have life. That would be like somebody growing up in church all their life. Do you believe the Bible? I sure do. Uh, what, What do you believe about the Bible? I believe every word of it. I memorized Psalm 23 when I was a baby boy. Let me tell you and start quoting the Scripture. And you can go all through the Bible and you can explain the Bible. You can give all the right answers. But here's the thing. This Bible points to someone greater. It points to its author who is God. It points to Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. And Jesus said point blank to the religious leaders of His day. He says, you think that you're saved. You think you have everything figured out because you have the book. But you're refusing to come to me and that's what the book says. Think about that. Think about that. You refuse to come to me that you might have life. Here's the conclusion. Faith that has no works doesn't work. I want you to hear that this morning. Faith that has no works doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. So a faith that works has evidence to support it. We've distinguished real faith from meaningless talk. We've determined what makes faith real. It works. And now let's look at one more thing. Let's demonstrate that real faith works. Now he gives you two examples. Not just one, but two. They're in James 2, beginning in verse 21. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We'll stop there. Now, James is emphasizing, you know, two sides of the same coin. Yes, we're saved by faith. Not of our own works, okay? Because we, we can't do anything to save ourselves. It's all of what God has done. We are saved by faith alone. But that faith isn't alone. That faith expresses itself through works. There are things that accompany salvation. Just like when someone is alive, they have a heartbeat, they're breathing, they have a pulse, so on and so forth. When you are born again, when you are saved, there are signs of life, of new life in Christ in your life that is evident to show that you truly are saved. Let's consider Abraham as an example. 
It says Abraham is credited with righteousness because he believed God. That goes all the way back to Genesis 15 when God made a covenant with him. And the term credited there is a legal term. It's a financial term. It means to put to one's account. Uh, Abraham didn't work for this righteousness. He received it as a gift from God, and he was declared righteous by his faith in God. He believed God's promise. He took him at his word. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, how can you tell if a person's justified by faith if this transaction takes place between the sinner and God privately? Uh, That's a good point. How do I know that someone's saved when this is something between you and God and it happens underneath the skin, you know, we can't see it, and it's, it's a personal, you know, decision. It's done privately. How can we know? He says, Abraham's example answers the question. The justified person has a changed life and obeys God's will. His faith is demonstrated by his works. He talks about Abraham. You know, in Genesis 15, Abraham is declared righteous. And Abraham had done nothing other than believe God. God said, Abraham, I'm going to do this in your life. And he believed it. He simply received that. He believed it by faith. And he was declared righteous by God. His faith was credited as righteousness. Then if you're reading the the account of Abraham's life in Genesis, you go forward seven chapters and a lot changes. In Genesis 22, God says, Abraham, I want, to, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. I want you to go up on that mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, you know, in that day and age, it was not uncommon for people to sacrifice their, their children to God's. It makes you wonder, why did God ask him that? If you read the account, it says very plainly, very straightforwardly, that God was testing him. In other words, God didn't want him to do it, but God was testing him to see if he was willing to do it. And so the very next day, Abraham gets up like it's another day, and he gets his son, and he gets his servants, and they take off. And when they get to the base of the mountain, he tells his servants, y'all wait here, we're going to go worship the Lord, and we will be back. Did you catch that? We will be back. That was Abraham's faith talking. Abraham gets up there and his son says, hey dad, we've we've got the wood, we'll have fire, where's the sacrifice? The next thing you know, Abraham builds an altar and puts Isaac on the sacrifice. And as he's got his, his hand raised with a knife in the hand, the Lord calls out to him, Abraham, Abraham. In other words, he passed the test. And God provides a ram and they sacrifice the ram and they worship God And they both go back down that mountain that day and meet the servants. You know, if you read that in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, you will find out that the Holy Spirit tells us in the New Testament that Abraham reasoned in his heart that if he went through with the act, God could raise Isaac from the dead. In other words, there wasn't a conflict of interest with Abraham. Abraham knew that God made a promise I'm going to make you an heir of many nations, and here is the promised son. It's Isaac, but now I want you to give Isaac to me. And I think he said, well, Lord, if I give him to you, you'll just bring him up from the dead because you promised. And he believed God's word. He didn't try to figure it out. And so in Genesis 22, you see Abraham obeying God by offering his son. So in 15 of Genesis, God declares Abraham righteous. 
in chapter 22, Abraham demonstrates that righteousness by trusting God and obeying Him. You see, Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but he was saved by a faith that works. And that's the difference. But look at one more example here. James is not done. In verse 25, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now he talks about Rahab, and he mentions that she was a prostitute. Rahab, um, you know, remember the, remember the battle of Jericho? Uh, if you go back to your vac- vacation Bible school days, you've, you've heard about uh, the Battle of Jericho and how they, you know, marched around it for seven days and then the, they, they marched seven times and then they shouted and the walls came tumbling down and they went in and they conquered the city, right? Well, Rahab lived in Jericho and that wall that surrounded the, the city, it looked like, you know, you couldn't conquer it. And her home was built into the wall. Matter of fact, um, two spies, Moses uh, or Joshua sent out two spies to, to spy the land, and they went to Jericho, and when they discovered they were about to be found out, they went to Rahab's house, and they told her who they were, and she says, oh yes, and she was a God-fearing woman. Even though she was a prostitute, she recognized, you know, your God has destroyed the Egyptians and all these other nations and uh, she, she basically wanted her life spared. So she said, I'm going to help y'all escape and you remember me. And so she allowed these two soldiers to uh, escape by going out the window in her home that was in the wall of Jericho. And they told her, they said, you can't, you can't tell anybody where we're going. You can't tell anybody when we're coming back. But here's a sign of our agreement. Here's a scarlet cord. Hang it in your window And when God delivers uh, us, we will spare everyone in your family that is in this house when it all goes down. But you got to keep that scarlet cord in the window and you cannot come outside the house. And of course, that's what she did. She hid the spies. She protected the spies. When the coast was clear, she let them down her wall and she left the scarlet cord. And a few days went by and And uh, Jericho did an expedition. They couldn't find these two spies. They thought everything was normal. And then here comes the Lord and the walls come tumbling down. And Rahab the prostitute and her family were, were, were saved and they were spared. She had heard about God. She knew that her city was going to be destroyed. She risked her own life to protect these spies. And she also risked her life by sharing the news of possible deliverance within her own family network because they could have turned on her, but they didn't. She remembered to hang the scarlet rope in the window, and she proved her faith by her works. Hebrews eleven thirty one. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And in Hebrews eleven thirty one, it mentions Rahab by name. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. She was a woman of faith. Did you know that she ended up being like the the great-grandparent of King David? Did you know that she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ? 
If you turn to Matthew chapter 1, the very beginning of the New Testament, and you go down the list of genealogy of all the names in the earthly family tree of Jesus Christ, Rahab is there. A woman of faith that demonstrated her faith by what she did, by her works. You see, both Abraham and Rahab are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and they both proved their faith by their works, because they had a faith that works. So I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been saved? Do you understand that you are a sinner that has broken God's law? Do you understand that you're in need of a Savior? Have you experienced the conviction from God about the sin in your life? Has God stirred your heart And you know you need to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus before it's too late. And the most important question, are you willing to turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ today? Right here, right now. You see, the verdict is in from James. Faith without works is dead. And a dead faith doesn't save anybody. You see, I want you to remember that a faith that does work has evidence to support it. Look at James. Look at Abraham. Look at Rahab. Today, we're going to have a time of response. We're going to have an invitation. And it's my prayer that you will truly respond to God in faith and trust, and trust and obey Him. Let's all stand. As musicians come, as ushers come, let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning. Thank you for this time, Lord, in your word. Thank you for this time that we can gather together, Lord, and worship you each and every week. Father, I pray today, Lord, that none of us would be professors of faith with false claims. But Lord, I pray that we would be possessors of salvation. Lord, that we have something that you have done in our lives. And Lord, we're truly grateful for your grace. We trust you, we believe you, and we receive the gift from you, Lord, that no man can take away. Lord, we don't deserve it. Lord, we didn't earn it. Lord, it's a gift of grace for those that are willing to come and trust and follow you. And Lord, that gift of grace is demonstrated through good works. Nothing that I've done, nothing that any of us can do. But, Lord, it's what you do in our lives when you come into our lives and change us and save us. Father, we ask you to have your will and your way today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.